Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. and welcome to Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet? I'm your host, Oz Ismail. This episode is a very special episode. First, because it's a Pride special, and also, it's a crossover! Crossover! (laughs) That's right, this is actually a crossover episode with the coming out tapes. So, my co-host slash guest today (laughs) is the amazing Keris Bradley, who you may remember from episode 11 back in 2018. Such a long time ago. (laughs) We've moved from a tiny basement to an incredibly hot like roof yeah (laughs) up so many stairs it's just about it's still we've moved up yeah directionally (laughs) Uh, so Keris would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and also tell us about the coming out tapes I'm Keris I am a freelance science communicator and researcher so um, I wear many hats Um, I am currently working on a research project with the charity Gallup, looking at the impact of transphobia on the trans community. Um, I'm also a stand-up comedian. I'm taking a show to the Edinburgh Fringe this year with comedian Rachel Wheely, which is called The Unfortunate Bisexual, Mm -hmm. uh, titled by Oz. You're welcome. um, Which is all about bisexuality. um, And I do lots of work in schools, talking and teaching about the dark web, which is my research PhD research sort of topic, but also about like LGBT history and that kind of thing. Nice. And the coming out tapes, that was the other thing that you asked me, is a podcast uh, that I run, um, which is an audio archive of LGBT stories. So uh, for every episode in the first series, I sat down with an interesting, wonderful, amazing person from the LGBT community and asked them about how they came out, how they chose the language to describe themselves um, and what their experience has been. So the first first ever episode with was with Oz. That's how we kicked off the entire show. Um, and I'm currently working really hard on season two. So that's exciting. Excellent. So... So the reason we decided to do this crossover special episode... It's a crossover! (laughs) What is this? A crossover episode? You know, that gets funnier every time. You're being sarcastic, but I think it does actually get funnier every time. (laughs) Which we won't keep saying. Um, It's because uh, being excessively gay is very on brand for both of us. Excessively bi. Excessively bi and gay. (laughs) If I claimed to be bi, I'd be lying. Um, Very on brand. Being excessively... 
off the rainbow. Yes. <laughs> um, and also, it's just we've just had Pride Month. So Keris and I went to UK Black Pride at the weekend and we met some amazing, amazing people. Uh, so we spent the day like literally running around with a pair of microphones and a press pass and using that as an excuse to talk to people who looked incredibly cool and interesting but also people that we like follow on twitter yeah we, we met just so been total stalkers yeah so here's a selection of people we spoke to you know i think pride has so many different meanings and for me it's a pride is political because our beings are political pride is also a process pride is also a celebration but pride is also a place where people find their home where people find their tribe where they find their community or their communities and they've just got like a shared commonality with people around them my name's lady phil i'm the co-founder and executive director of uk black pride um and can you just tell us as I know you're very busy, but how did this project start? Okay, so in 2004, I was running an organization for black lesbian women in the UK called Block. And I took them to South End and we recognized that actually we want to claim our space. And in 2005, we started UK Black Pride. Um, we, we had some challenges, it wasn't easy. And there was a lot of resistance to setting up Black Pride. But we've just gone from strength to strength and, you know, 14 years on, we're here now in our new home, Haggerston Park. Um, yeah, we've, hopefully we'll see about 8,000 people join us. Amazing. And what does pride mean to you? Pride is just taking pride in who you are, being who you are, whether you are trans, non-binary, gender neutral, whether you're a lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, you know, I. It's just about coming with your whole true self, yeah. Do you want to tell us what pride means to you? Pride is freedom. It's expressing who you are without being judged. Uh, it means coming home. That's what pride means to me. Pride means being bold, being you unequivocally. Well, I know there are lots of different opinions for the Pride, but for me, it's like really empowering, encouraging. I think, to me, Pride is about not diminishing yourself and not shrinking yourself in whatever form that means for you. Pride doesn't necessarily mean you have to be loud. It doesn't actually mean you have to be flamboyant. Pride is about being like, I exist and I exist loudly. And that loudness can be seem quiet. But for me, that's loud. And I think that's what Pride is. I especially want to chat to you, Keris, because you uh, have a lot of information. I've been to a lot of your shows and you have a lot of knowledge and information about LGBTQ plus people, especially what science thinks about us, right? Yes. So this is one of my pet projects. Um, I do a lot of sort of historical research into scientific research on the LGBT community. Um, so that's looking at things like what kind of um, scientific research has been done on uh, what rights the community should have. So should we be allowed to raise children? Um, but also sort of how uh, homosexuality came to be, um, but also about like the medicalization of people of the community. Specifically looking at same-sex couples, um, because that's kind of been a research focus um, for like the majority of the time. And there are like other 
kinds of ways that um, science can study the LGBT community in this context. For example, um, looking at bisexual parents who are in a differing sex couple, but science isn't really bothered about that. Um, right. Or you could look at what happens when uh, one of your parents comes out as trans, for example. Um, but that's sort of... <sighs> There's, that's maybe a newer concern that society has, which is not to say that you know society hasn't discriminated against trans people in the past, but like that's something that people are more violently opposed to now. Mm. Um, so the kind of most of the research that I've looked at has been science looking at same-sex couples and the implications that has for children. So interestingly, this kind of research sort of began in the seventies with. Um, actually like lesbian and women, other women who love women researchers who wanted to have families but were aware that they didn't have the kind of um, support uh, and information available to them that uh, the more like classical nuclear family had. So there weren't any parenting books or at the time there weren't any t- parenting books targeted towards two women raising a child together and um, how you might want to go about doing that. Um, Because there are obviously things that you have to consider, like how you can explain to your children, um, like if they're being bullied at school, why the relationship that you have is okay. Like that's something that might be very difficult for people to do. And it would be really helpful if they had literature that they could both read, but also could give to their children. So um, this kind of research really started with those parents trying to make informed decisions um, in order to advise other people. But it then kind of got hijacked by people who were worried that it would be damaging to children if they were raised in this kind of environment with two dads or two mums or, you know, two mums and a dad or some other kind of like combination, anything that wasn't that classic nuclear family. Um, and they were concerned that uh it might make kids gay or it might affect their perception of their gender. Uh, They were worried that it would be damaging for these kids because they weren't growing up in a stable household. Uh, They were worried that people from the community were just, you know, perverts and shouldn't be around children. So they had like all of these different concerns and there were scientists out there who were like actively trying to prove using data that that was was true. So... What is it? This this notion that people want to hijack science it's it's annoying because it sounds like there are people who genuinely want to do real good science and be helpful to our community that needs this information and help. But the hijacking of science to serve a different purpose or agenda is constantly happening, right? To any marginalized group, especially recently, we've seen this transphobic letter that's gone around that is trying to use uh, trying to justify uh, the existence or trying to say that the existence of trans people is up for scientific debate which is which really angers me and annoys me because I I do love science but at the same time I don't think everything is up for scientific debate and but people seem to want to keep hijacking it in the name of science yeah, I, I think that like a, a major problem with a lot of this research is that it's conducted by humans. And I say that with the implication that there's like an alternative. That's not, that's not what I mean. But like, <laughs> Aliens have been researching us. Um, so scientists are, you know, human beings who are impacted by the um, uh, 
like the structural discrimination that shapes the world that we live in. So uh, I think it is impossible for any scientist to consider themselves immune to the signaling that we get from like the media and the world around us that kind of promotes this idea of having a husband and a wife raising children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very difficult for you to decouple those kind of subconscious biases when you step into a lab. Um, and so a lot of the literature that I've read, what happens is that people bring their uh, subconscious prejudices with them. Um, and that has a massive uh, impact on the kind of hypothesis, the research questions that they want to answer and the hypotheses that they like formulate. So when you do science, the process that lots of people follow is that you read the existing literature to find out you know, what questions haven't been answered. You work out questions that you think you could be able to answer in order to fill in those gaps. And then based on your experience and your reading of the literature, you come up with these hypotheses, which are your sort of best guess answers to those questions. And then you test whether or not those answers are true. And if you are operating um, with this perception, like if you believe that, you know, that um, that gay men are more promiscuous or bisexual men are more promiscuous than straight men, because that's the signaling that you've been given from the way that that these people are are portrayed in the media, Mm. then you might make the hypothesis that because they're more promiscuous, that's more damaging. It creates a more damaging environment to raise children in. And you've made like a, there's a bunch of us, I keep saying you, not you, this hypothetical (laughs) scientist um, has made a bunch of assumptions there. Like the idea that a promiscuous parent is a bad parent. That's something that we like are raised to believe because of our perceptions of monogamy being preferable to polyamory Mm. and, um, things like that um but then also this like you've taken this stereotype from the world outside and you've brought it into the lab and so when we talk about like scientific debates not only is it dehumanizing to the individuals to say oh we're going to debate today we think it's up to debate for debate today whether or not like a trans identity is a legitimate identity or whether or not um someone should have the right to like raise their biological children or adopt a children or whatever. Um, but also I think that there is this perception that science is very objective, um, mm. but we forget that like the kinds of questions that we both ask and answer heavily informed by the world around us. And so it's really, really difficult to do this kind of science in an environment which is so prejudiced against the the participants that you're researching. Yeah. So do you know, like, of the research that's being done on, say, the parenting aspect, how much, how many researchers do we know uh, who are involved in this are actually within from the LGBTQ plus community? So I did, when I was doing this research, I like basically I would read a paper and then I would take the name of the researcher and be like, this person, gay, Google search. <laughs> uh, like it's, it's, not, it's not a great way of doing it. Um, and I did really struggle. Um, and I think, you know, that's fair. Like I don't want to presume that all of these people are cisgendered and straight. Uh, and I don't think that people within the community have a responsibility to like be out because I mean, we're both scientists and members of the LGBT community and we know that in lots of places it's not safe for you to be right. out at work. Exactly. Um, so I couldn't tell you that. Uh, I feel like I should be at least able to tell you, you know, what proportion, because not all of these papers are like negative papers. Some people have actively tried to show that not only are same-sex couples good at raising kids, but in lots of ways, you might consider them to be better than your like conventional heteronormative kind of household. Um, 
I couldn't even tell you what like proportion that is, which like I wish I had the numbers, but yeah, it's hard to find this out, isn't it? But I guess ultimately, it's important. What we're saying is, it's important for people from the community to be involved in that research. To yeah, I think so. Um, kind of changing context slightly, but I think a really good example of this is quite an early paper on the potential of there being a gay gene. Um, so that's like a big hot topic at the moment because you know they think they found it, um, and uh, all of this research started like you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, and one of the first papers was written by a scientist who, um, he was on holiday with his family and they'd gone to San Francisco um, and he was walking along the beach and um, he sort of noticed that there was like, the beach that he was on, there seemed to be quite a lot of what he thought was gay gay men. And he found out from a friend that that particular beach was actually a hotspot for men from the community to go and hang out. Um, and... He had just read a paper that showed that the direction that your hair turns from the like spot in the middle of your hair mm-hmm. head, your hair whirl is called. Um, the direction that that's turned uh, turns is um, correlates with whether or not you're right-handed or left-handed. Okay. Um, and whether or not you're right-handed or left-handed, that's a genetically determined right thing and so that implies that the direction that your hair turns also genetically linked so he went to this beach and he sat down and he like basically made a note of the direction that the hair was turning on all of these men in this beach and what he found was that um to a statistically significant level their hair turned in the opposite direction to the general public um and so that was sort of like an indication to scientists who were studying genetics at the time that actually your sexuality could be genetically determined but that was purely based on him going to this beach and looking at these men and being like, I think that you are gay in brackets or bisexual. Um, and so I'm including you in my study. So like, it's purely based on stereotypes of the community. And I think that, you know, if he had maybe had friends who hung on, out on that beach, they, they might have said like, not all of those men are gonna be gay and bisexual. We have friends who are straight. Um, and they're like, so the sample that you've drawn is like not actually a sample that we, we might consider scientifically rigorous. Right. Um, but if you don't have anything to do with the community and you've been told, you know, we move in packs and we keep to ourselves, <laughs> then like maybe you would think that that sample is is like a good sample. Um, and there are lots of, like a lot in a lot of these papers, there are similar kind of, I read some read a paper written by someone who I would be very, very surprised if they have strong ties to the community because of the way that they talk about that community. But then I have read lots of papers where people talk about how, so at the moment for the project that I'm doing, I'm looking at the impacts of transphobia on the trans community. So I spend most days reading about transphobic hate crime. It is not fun. Wow, yeah, Um, gosh. There are a lot of studies that have been done in this area where like the researchers have made really sure that it's like led by the community for the community. And so they bring uh, researchers from the trans community in right at the beginning to help create the like methodology that they're gonna use. And so that like there are scientists out there who either are from the community or are aware at least that they have that, that knowledge gap. And so they take steps to to kind of fill it by hearing voices from the community. And then there are ones where they clearly just have not done that. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A 2017 survey found that 49% of people in the UK think that we are born with our sexuality. Entonces, ¿por qué existen las personas gays? Homosexuality has been a small but distinct... Homosexuality. Depended on the genetica, that we know is that there is no one gay gene. Science is really obsessed with this idea of like, what is homosexuality and why does it exist? And I think a large part of that comes from this kind of very Darwin perspective of survival of the fittest and the fact that homosexuality um, is kind of in antithesis to this. Um, so I'm just going to like, I don't know, paraphrase something that I heard on another great podcast. Um, called Witch Please, where they were talking about the like potential asexuality of Voldemort, the character of Voldemort in Harry Potter. Um, and there's an entire like school of academic thought which looks at um, where discrimination against asexuals come from and this idea that uh, society is really disgusted by people who reject the desire for reproduction um, and so like one of the kind of like foundations of homophobia but also acephobia comes from this idea that we very much see our species through this like evolutionary lens where what we're trying to do is reproduce and wanting to have sex and wanting to create children is therefore like a very um like it's a very natural desire mm. and any person who either doesn't have that desire for reproduction like women for example who don't want to have kids or doesn't have that desire for sex um, like the asexual community or wants to have any kind of sex which is not for reproductive purposes so um large parts of the lgbt community um and then also, to a certain extent, people from like the kink community. One of the reasons why lots of people in society find those concepts really disgusting is because it seems to be uh, in tension with this idea that we're all supposed to be like furthering the species. And so when science asks the question, like, what makes homosexuality? Like, why are some people gay? Um, I don't think that that's like an innocent question that is just curious about 
why the world is the way that it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's driven by this desire to understand the things that seem wrong or out of place. So homosexuality doesn't fit in with that theory. So we have to come up with some kind of caveat or footnote to understand like how we've ended up in this way. Um, and there are lots and lots of different kind of theories. So there's this hypothesis called the gay uncle hypothesis, which is this idea that, uh, so it comes from uh, evolutionary theory. Uh, and it's this idea that if in your kind of community, so if, if you're, let's say that you're uh, um uh, like a woman in, in like a pack group um, and you have a brother um, and that brother is is gay, then they don't have the desire to reproduce, which means that they don't want to eradicate your children from the community because they're not going to have kids who are fighting for your kids' resources. So what you get is a male ally who is genetically linked to your children and therefore feels connected to them and wants to protect them, but isn't producing competitors for your kids. So if there is a gay gene which is carried through women in the family, um, then it makes sense uh, that 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 gay uncle would be beneficial to that sister's children. And so they would be more likely to survive and they would carry on the, the gay gene which the mother has and the gay uncle has, but she passes it on to her children, is the idea. Wow. Um, so that's one kind of school of thought, which is trying to like, kind of explain how we have homosexuality within this evolutionary kind of And is that theory. is that just hypothesis driven or have, have people actively gone out to do the research? Yeah, so, so uh, this comes, this is linked to like the search for the, the gay gene and, and early studies where people made these massive family trees uh, where they would get, um, men, uh, male participants within their study who, so these men who identified as gay or bisexual, and then uh, they would interview and and construct these huge family trees, and they would try to find instances of homosexuality within the family tree. And then they were able to show that you have like a disproportionate number of men who are identifying as gay on your mother's side of the family tree. And that's one of the clues about like, whether or not it is genetic and how it works, which has ultimately led to people claiming that they have found this this gay gene. Wow. Um, so that's kind of like one side of it. And then the other side of it is all of the, th- so you've got all of these theories that kind of explain how that gay gene would survive without this desire to reproduce. And then the, the kind of like other strand of this kind of research is really looking at um, homosexuality being some kind of like, Something, something's gone wrong. So you're not meant to be gay, but then something about your environment in like the way that you're created either as a fetus or as a child means that you are not actually like, you're not correct. Um, so there, there's these theories that, uh, so there's some data which suggests that you're more likely to be gay if you have lots of older brothers. And the theory is that your mother has used up all of her testosterone supplies right. on your older brothers in the womb. And so she doesn't have enough to give you in the womb. And so that you don't develop fully into a man. You're not like a man in the same way that the rest of your brothers are men. You're a gay man because you don't have the same levels of testosterone. And then there's also, so the flip side of that is that that gay women have more testosterone uh, than the average woman. 
Um, and so that is about like the reason why we're the way that we are is because there's something wrong with us. That's the kind of like implication of, and that's, so the reason why I really dislike this kind of science is because that premise is really harmful to the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. But then also like, it's entirely reliant on the stereotypes that we have of the community. So uh, when a lot of people imagine a lesbian, they imagine a butch lesbian right. and they just ignore all of the like yeah. femme lesbians who exist. Um, and that that does have an effect on the way that the science is done. Like if a scientist is deciding who is gay and who is not gay and therefore who they include in their study and who not to include in their study, um, and they're doing that based on stereotypes, then you see then you end up like skewing your samples to prove the hypotheses that that you have created. Um, and there's obviously, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a butch lesbian, but that's not the only lesbian experience. Right. It's not exists. representative of the of the community or the subsection of the community you're trying to study. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it means that you end up supporting all of these kind of like, like damaging ideas. Um, so you then get to claim that a woman is a lesbian because she developed incorrectly mm. and that meant that she was closer to a, being a man which is ridiculous because a butch woman who identifies as a woman is a woman yeah um and like regardless of her levels of testosterone and it also means that you get like really really obvious massive harms like the treatment of Casta Semenya possible fallouts from a legal hearing involving Olympic champion Casta Semenya Semenya is not transgender, but some believe she's so dominant because of a condition she has called differences in sexual development. That means she has naturally higher levels of testosterone. Um, so Casta Semenya is a South African Olympic athlete. And in 2009, she was stopped from competing because she outperformed several other athletes and they made her go through several tests to verify her sex. And she was stopped from competing and there have been multiple sort of rulings on um, female athletes and what testosterone levels they're allowed to have. And uh, I think there was also a requirement for her to take medication yeah. to reduce her testosterone levels, which is insane. Yeah. And it's all tied to this idea that like our hormones determine our gender or our sex and both of those concepts are scientific concepts that are not matched by like people's real world experiences mm. but i also feel like with her case it was it's an interesting case where the fact that she's a woman and the fact that she's a black woman all kind of played into it especially on social media yeah she's she's also she's very proudly gay yeah and um, all of these things just like it's it's difficult to as much as people want to be like this is not about race or this is not about sex it clearly was a mix of all those things yeah. that were that kind of put her in that position yeah um and it's having uh implications for like so Castro Semenya is not trans um but lots of people like refer to her as if she is um and they're like in this political climate, which is extremely transphobic, lots of trans athletes are being um, bullied and attacked for wanting to compete um, with people saying that like they have this unfair advantage because people don't understand um, or that they're like making presumptions on how 
being trans would aid you as an athlete. Um, and there's like a lot of misconceptions and ignorance. So people say that Casta Semenya shouldn't be able to compete because um, of the level of her testosterone, like her testosterone levels. Um, and for that same reason, they don't want trans women to be able to compete in women's categories, even though trans women actually have a lower average testosterone level than cis women, um, often because they are taking the hormones that uh, like they want to take um, in order to like change their body mm-hmm. when if and when they, they choose to change their body. Yeah. Um, and so there's kind of like these incredibly like new ideas that we're now imposing on people because they are better than our sports players at doing the sports <laughs> that they're really, really good at. Um, and we end up like putting people through these really humiliating tests and talking about them in these really dehumanizing ways. And I think that like those those things have not occurred in isolation all of these things are are linked like the fact that we have these kind of like scientific schools of thought that link our sexuality to our hormone levels um and our gender to our hormone levels like you literally can't win right you can be a cisgender woman and your hormones are the wrong levels um and you can be a trans woman and your uh, hormones are the right levels um but neither of you are allowed to compete (sighs) the world is just awful Video only. No, no, it's just, yeah, just audio. Yeah, introducing yourself? Yeah, my name is Mohammed I'm from Bangladesh, where homosexuals are prohibited, and I am and I am open gay Asian Muslim. And uh, whenever I say I'm gay, open gay, I feel proud, I feel relieved. And I'm th- thankful to God to. Each of single day, I'm thankful to God to make me, give me this unique sexual orientation. Um, so why did you come to Black Pride today? Because uh, it is my first time uh, in the UK. I'm attending so many Pride. And I, I came here because it is an opportunity for me to stand out and say what I am and who I am. Um, and and um, how are you finding Black Pride? Yeah, it is very colorful and very, very. It's like festive mood. One of the uh, everyone is everyone's color and yeah, it's very lovely. Um, and what does what does Pride mean to you? Pride is like a protest for me, uh, where I can express myself as a open gay man. I can work to show with a uh, shoulder to shoulder with my community and I can I can openly uh, came came out on the street with my LGBT community. Okay, so the ideas that we have in science uh, based on like who we are um, are sort of all based around procreation and this is interesting because uh, this is where a lot of the old British like colonial laws that still exist in a lot of countries so section 377 came from so uh, for those of you aren't aware section 377 is this old uh, British law that was imposed on uh, the British Raj so that includes uh, current-day India Pakistan and Bangladesh and 
it was based on Christian Victorian morals and they've they did not like the idea that uh, relationships could exist without a person being produced as a result of that relationship. So they introduced this law that said that any kind of sexual uh, activity that didn't result in creating a child was illegal. But then turns out pretty difficult to police the type of sex that people are having. Um, So they decided, well, we'll just be okay with straight people and it just eventually evolved into a gay or homophobic law that in some countries still exists. And it, it was not just in the British Raj, it then expanded onto all other countries that were being colonized. And this is the law that still exists in a lot of countries. And the reason the reason I brought this up is because if you look at sort of texts that exist, like these old texts that exist in that part of the world, there's evidence for uh, LGBTQ plus people existing. There's evidence for um, um, men who had relations or romances with other men, lesbian relationships. And in fact, uh, trans people or like people who are not gender conforming or swapping gender um, because that was how they identified. But it was just, it was only after the, the, like the British came in and were like, no, this is, this is not okay and imposed this law that people then started to conform to what was seen as normal within quotation marks. And that over years and years and years has then, you know, manifested as homophobia. Um, and I, I don't know as much about the formation of these laws as, as you know um, about the these specific homophobic laws. But in a lot of countries, if you want to transition, um, you have to agree to be sterilized before you can legally transition. So wow. um, even if you don't want to have any kind of surgery, you just want to change your gender on your like birth certificate or passport, then you have to be sterilized, which is an invasive procedure that is being imposed on people because of the perceptions that we have of like what it means to be a particular gender identity. Um, and I I don't know if it has the same kind of root as the colonial laws that you talk about, but it seems very likely to me that this is also linked to this idea of um, like procreation, but specifically like good procreation. <laughs> and we don't want certain people to be able to procreate yeah. and we can actively restrict their ability to do that. Hmm. So there's there's lots lots of um, lots of ways that we police the LGBT community are tied up in this kind of ideals. Homosexuality is a is a heinous, horrible thing. It's, it's not acceptable in Islam. Man, God created man, and then He created woman for man's pleasure and for his companionship. He did not create man for man. I mean, that is a disgusting act. But it's all right for your children to sit around the table and talk about gay, lesbians, uh, openly. That's fine. That's within the, your Christian opportunity. But with us, lot, with us, lot, we don't accept it. We don't accept it. We Yeah, so it's interesting because um, currently there's a lot of hoo-ha in Birmingham about the No Outsiders project. So this is, uh, I believe it's a, a head teacher in Birmingham who uh, proposed sort of inclusive stories, I think it was, uh, to teach to teach kids about relation, the diversity of relationships. And I think it in- also includes like religion and all of that as well. 
and a lot of uh, a lot of parents in Birmingham were very upset about it, especially a large uh, population, the South Asian Muslim population, were unhappy about it because they felt like it didn't. They felt it was inappropriate, uh, age age inappropriate, and also didn't sit well with their religious beliefs. And for me, I found this very painful to watch as somebody who is gay and from a Muslim background, because first of all, um, you the fact that we already like the Muslim community already has uh, a bad like image because the media always portrays us as terrorists. <laughs> um, so the moment this sort of thing happens, the haters jump onto it and be like, look, these people are not uh, aligned with our values, which makes me think, well, first of all, <laughs> your values <Yeah. laughs> exactly second of all it's like it erases the fact that the muslim community are saying this is not this does not line up with our values erases the fact that muslim lgbtq plus people exist regardless of whether you want to believe they do or not they 100 do and it's just not cool to just turn a blind eye to them and be like well you to us you don't exist Right. Um, and also, I think it's very painful for people to see that because particularly for people from specific religious or cultural backgrounds, when you come out, it's it's I don't I'm, I'm not saying that some people's coming out is especially uh, more difficult. Coming out is a very difficult process. But when you have all these other barriers to break through as well, it m- makes it a lot more challenging. Like from a personal point of view, I felt like I was turning my back on uh, my culture, my religion, coming into this new community, and shockingly wasn't accepted into it with open arms. So there are all these other things, that, like barriers you have to face when you come out as a person of color or as a person of a certain faith, right? So do you want to tell us who you are? Yes, my name is Alex Leo and I work for the Kaleidoscope Trust, but I'm also an activist, writer, campaigner, all those things. Oh, someone's put something in my pocket. Oh, someone's just put some condoms in my pocket. Happy UK Black Friday. Eh? Anyway, yes, so that's I was me. I'm going to pretend asking who you are because I know who you are. <laughs> I'm, following I'm very, very flattered. I was, I'm very flattered. Uh, so tell us what brought you to Black Pride today. So UK Black Pride is always my favorite day of the year. I think it's kind of like QPOC Christmas. And the reason is I love Pride of London. I think Pride of London is a really important event. But what I really appreciate about UK Black Pride is that I get to kind of celebrate every single aspect of who I am, right? Not that I can't do that at Pride in London, but this is a safe space for me to express myself however I want. Uh, and it's also a lot of fun. Like it's just, it's community. The, so the, I think a thing that is interesting to me about um, this kind of conversation about Birmingham is that there's like this implication because there is this vocal community who uh, is against this education that like everyone from similar communities believes the same thing. So I do a lot of work in schools, going into schools, talking to kids um, about my experience um, as a member of the community. And then they get an opportunity to ask me questions. And these children are like often 15, 16 years old, 13 years old. I will be the first non-binary person that they've met who's like, open and out about that. For some of these kids, I might be the first, you know, member of the LGBT community in any sense that they've met who is out about their sexuality or gender identity. Um, And understandably, like given the way that they are able to consume knowledge about the community, they have a lot of 
questions. Um, and I think it's really important that they get given kind of a safe space where they can ask lots of questions so that they don't go up to a random, you know, gender non-conforming person on the street and ask them a bunch of stuff um, or similar. Uh, and I have been really lucky. I work with a couple of charities um, and also this is, you know, part of my freelance stuff. Um, and I've gone to lots of different schools and I've always had like a safe space to do that. That doesn't mean that the kids don't ask difficult questions, but it's never been something that I felt was like personally attacking me. But something that I have noticed is that a lot of teachers who are white will say things like, yeah, we have a big Muslim population here, so we weren't sure how it was going to go. Like you're just already presuming that these kids (laughs) are going to have a problem with me because of their cultural background and their religion, um, which is not something that they would say about their white students they're talking about their whole school but then they're signaling out this group but i was recently in bradford for the bradford literary festival okay um and so this is a festival that is held in bradford every year it's been a bit controversial this year because um they've received some funding from the government uh which has in other projects been used um in like quite an invasive way to kind of police Muslim spaces. And so they came under controversy for receiving this funding. Um, I still went up to the festival and I'm like, just saying this is kind of like a caveat. I still went up to the festival because um, I was really excited to go into some schools um, and talk to some kids. And also because, you know, I'm a freelancer on a budget um, (laughs) and they'd promised me like this money to do this. uh, And I kind of wanted to pick up that paycheck because I'd done the work for it. And then also because the project is like, like I really believe in the Bradford Literature uh, Festival project. The people who run it are fantastic. And I think that they, you know, they acknowledge the criticisms from their community and they um, explain their position. And they've said a lot of stuff on online, which... um, made it like a de- the decision I felt the right decision for me was was to go to the festival mm. even though other people like have pulled out um, but I went to a school in Bradford and uh, I did a, a lecture on the history of LGBT rights and then a couple of uh, dis- workshops on the discrimination the LGBT community faces um, firstly it's the first school that I've ever been to where I've been gendered correctly when I've been introduced Wow! I did not say to the teacher what my pronouns were the teacher had been told by the festival organisers and he just introduced me correctly that nice. was fantastic um, and the kids like I mean I spoke to like 200 children so it was really variable in terms of what they wanted to talk about and what they knew about the community um but it was not variable based on like racialized communities Mm -hmm. there were like kids who were really really knowledgeable on this stuff and they really wanted to help stop homophobic bullying in their schools and they were getting support from teachers to do that and then there were lots of kids who this was the kind of the first time they were being introduced to those concepts and the school was making a real effort um and they have been criticized by community groups. So I was told by a parent that there's like a lobby, which is a combination of some conservative Muslim groups and some conservative Christian groups and uh, an anti-abortionist lobby. So the communities who are um, protesting this kind of education, it's not just the Muslim community, but those are the only ones who are kind of like getting the press. Right. And when the work that I have actually done in schools 
does not make me feel as if there is a specific community who is resistant mm -hmm. towards mm -hmm. this. So like even this conversation, it's it's built on within the media, it's it's built on the preconceived kind of prejudices that we already have. Totally, yeah. I just feel like yeah, it makes a it makes a better story and it just like fuels just feels more hate, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, and it makes it really difficult for LGBT Muslims. Hello, my name is Hafsa Qureshi. I'm Stonewall's viral model of the year 2019, and I'm at UK Black Pride 2019. Amazing. Um, how are you finding Black Pride? I'm loving it so much. It's so nice to be with other queer people of color. I feel like I don't have to explain who I am. I wear a hijab and I don't have to explain that I'm queer because everyone is just in the same space, feeling the same thing, feeling the love. It's amazing. Um, is this your first Black Pride? This is my first Black Pride and it's amazing. Um, and what does Pride mean to you? Pride to me means celebrating where we've come from. It also means knowing that it is a protest and we're still fighting for our rights. But I think it's also a chance to just get together and build a community because so many of us are isolated in our pockets where we can't be queer, we can't be who we are. And this is a celebration of where we've come from and it gives us a chance to pull our resources together and create more protests, fight for our rights as much as we can. Um, and if people like you are like looking for your community or they want to support the work that you're doing, how can they get in touch with you or get involved? Um, they can contact me. Uh, my DMs are open <laughs> on Twitter. Oh God, don't DM me anything weird. But um, <laughs> it's at Ms. Hafsa Qureshi. So it's M-S-H-A-F-S-A-Q-U-R-E-S-H-I. But um, if you're Muslim and queer, there's the London Queer Muslims who are also on Twitter. There's uh, Hidayah, there's Iman LGBTQ, Stonewall are really friendly. <laughs> so do check out those organizations. Brilliant, thank you so much. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. You may have noticed that like every major corporation and their mum had a Pride banner uh up in mm -hmm. their window rainbows or... everywhere yeah exactly um and i was getting kind of frustrated this year um because it wasn't clear to me what these uh organizations were doing to back up their like pride participation and so i started a spreadsheet uh <laughs> what else are you supposed <laughs> to do you're when such you're such a nerd <laughs> um, so i started a spreadsheet where like basically every time i've seen a company or one of the people who's helped me with this project has, has seen a company which has had like a pride logo or pride merchandise. I've looked at, you know, how much money um, they've actually donated to LGBT courses, causes, what, what do they do for the LGBT community outside of pride month, um, that kind of thing. But then also looking at like, things that they do which are contrary to the LGBT community and um, I posted this spreadsheet and I got a couple of comments from people saying that a lot of the negative things that I put in were um, uh, like irrelevant so including when a company had been racist or including when a company had exploited its workers um, either in this country or a different one um, and people were saying that like that doesn't have anything to do with what the um what the what that company is doing for the lgbt community as if the lgbt community doesn't intersect with loads of other marginalized communities and i think that because of you know like racism and ableism um and classism within the community itself like these problems that we have we often end up portraying members of the community as like typically cis gay white able-bodied middle-class men mm. um, and that allows a lot of people to kind of like 
ignore all of the other kind of identities that you get. Um, but as a community, we intersect with all of these other communities. There are so many other kinds of experiences. And when you have that, what that means is that those people who are representatives of other communities, as well as being a part of the LGBT community, within the community itself end up being stereotyped for the cross-sections of their identity and also held accountable for the actions of the rest of their community. So um, people who are uh, LGBT and also people of colour, when they talk about coming out are often asked like, oh, was it difficult to come out to your parents? <laughs> because yeah, the, and the, the thing that is not said is it must have been because your parents are from an Asian background or because your parents are Car uh, like Afro-Caribbean. Um, and so then as an individual, you're put in this position where like if your parents were terrible and like did not accept you, then by admitting that, by like being true to what happened, you are forced to participate in that racism and you're forced to participate in the stereotyping of those people. Mm. Or you have to find yourself defending homophobia or transphobia. Yeah. Um, just as like if you are from a working class background and people expect you, um, like so. For, for, for my my example is that um, so my my dad's family is quite middle class. My mum's family is from like a working class Welsh community, and I came out to both. My parents came out to both sides of my family on my behalf at the same time, <laughs> uh, basically. And my dad's side of the family were like, oh, how did your mum's side of the family take it? The implication wow. being there that like, because they're working class, they would wow. have rejected it. But that's not what happened. Yeah. Um, but you're like put in this position. Uh, so I was able to say, no, they were obviously very accepting. But even by answering that question, you're like tacitly, like implicitly acknowledging that that is a question worth asking. Yeah. Um, and that's a way that like, I think that people who have intersecting identities within our community, like are forced to pick sides all the time. Totally, totally, totally relatable and exhausting. It is true. And also it, on top of that, like I, I do feel that a lot. I, when I get asked that question and also you're fighting, then you have another thing to fight against what you're already fighting, which is, I just don't feel like I belong here. And I feel like I've turned my back on something that was very much part of me. And for that reason, I've never really felt comfortable in, especially when I first came out, comfortable in gay spaces. And I never used to go to pride because of this reason. Uh, so uh, what brings you to Black Pride today? This is my first Black Pride. I live in Hackney and Hackney's very inclusive, open. And I thought, why not? I went to Pride yesterday. I was like, why not come to Black Pride and like see what it's like, experience it, and do the whole shebang? So I wanted to just try it out. Amazing. And uh, what does Pride mean to you? Pride to me means like people that naturally don't come out and embrace being themselves in the community, coming out for even if it's just one day coming out in the community, being themselves and feeling inspired to be whatever they want to be, like naturally every day. So Pride is like, it's like a 24 hour moment to feel what it's like, to not care about like societal rules, barriers, being in a closet, just being you. And hopefully feeling inspired to be you, like 
how many days they are like in a year, like all of that. Well, Keris, that's all we've got time for. We've come to the end of our Pride episode. It's a crossover. It's a crossover. <laughs> so if you want to hear more of these wonderful people that we met at UK Black Pride of the weekend, head on over to the coming out tapes when Keris... Oh dear. <laughs> so I like I promise I am working on this. Um so I think the first episode for series 2 which will be the Black Pride special is going to come out September. Uh do you want to say goodbye? Do you have any plugs to do before we go? When's this coming out? Uh whenever I can get Alex to edit it. <laughs> okay. If this is coming out before August and you are Edinburgh based, come and see Mine and Rachel show The Unfortunate Bisexual at uh, the street, nine o'clock every night of the week, except for Mondays and Saturday the 17th of Edinburgh. Excellent. And remind everyone where they can find you. Um, and follow me on Twitter at hashtag Keris. You can now also follow me on Instagram, also at hashtag Keris, if you want to see like pictures of my girlfriend and I failing to do puzzles. That's basically <laughs> what it is. Sounds like an excellent account. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Oz Ismail. I've been joined by the wonderful Keris Bradley. This has been Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet? Goodbye. Bye. Um, Okay, so we are at Black Pride. We are. Because it's a crossover. It's a crossover. It's a coming out tapes. Why not a doc crossover? Why aren't you on coming out tapes? Why aren't you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is the new show you're the worst person uh thank you are you are you just recording yourself you, well we're just recording ourselves yeah we're yeah. really mis- <laughs> we're recording a podcast oh, sorry. it's okay like, oh sorry as if that like makes it any better <laughs> yeah um, a podcast is just like uh you know we're like the definition of trash basic millennials <laughs> we both have our podcasts and we're just recording ourselves in a park but sadly it's time for us to say goodbye I've been Oz Ismail I've been joined by the wonderful Chris Bradley this has been Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet goodbye wonderful what Bradley what did I say you said Queris I'm sorry I have a cold okay I'll do that again I'm sorry Alex Uh, sadly that's all we've got time for I'm Oz Ismail no f**k sake I can never I did this once before when I was in Portland when I had to record the same thing about five million times you've got it you've got it I believe in you and Alex is blatantly going to put this as like a blooper at the end he's done that before well now that you've said it he has to well if i say he can't do it can he because then it's like unnatural even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.